Hello and welcome to the strangest gig I've ever played. True tales from the studio and the stage. I'm your host, Chris J. Norwood. On the podcast with us today is one Sean Russell, lead singer and songwriter for the band Cutthroat Finches and the Nancys. We have a really fun conversation about the current state of the local music fandom and the local scene. It's pretty fascinating and a funny story about a pirate bar. So stay tuned for that. Without further ado, Sean Russell. Welcome back to The Strangest Gig. Again, my name is Chris J. Norwood. Before we get into Sean, I want to let you know that my new album, The Knockdown Dragout, by Chris J. Norwood and The Knockdown Dragout, is out now, streaming everywhere. And it is awesome, I think. And I hope you do too. You should go check it out. We just had a packed headlining album release show at the Kessler Theater in glorious Oak Cliff, Texas. It was so much fun. If you were there, thank you for coming. If you weren't, you know, uh, check us out. Come see us. We're working on getting some more gigs booked and we would love to see you. It's a lot of fun. So if you love, you know, good old time rhythm and blues and soul music, uh, come check us out. Follow us on the socials at Chris J Norwood and come to a show. Listen to our music. Now, Sean Russell is a singer songwriter from Fort Worth, Texas. He's the front man for the band Cutthroat Finches. They've been around for a while, put out a few stellar albums. And then they took a bit of a break over the pandemic, as we all did, and, and took a long time working on their next album. But it is done, I believe. And uh, we're working on mixing and mastering, they are. And uh, they're getting ready to put it out soon. In the meantime, Sean also put together the band called The Nancys, which he describes as Baroque Old Time Saloon Music. So if that doesn't hook you, I don't know what will. Sean has kind of become the go-to guy when it comes to conversations about the local scene and the state therein and the local music fandom. We got into a really fascinating conversation about that. And then we finished it up with a really great conversation about a pirate bar that you just got to hear. It's a lot of fun. Sean's a really fun guy and I enjoy this conversation. So let's get to it. <laughs> so Sean, tell me about your current gig, what you, what you're working on currently. Yeah. Um, I know you're in the band Cutthroat Finches. Yep. Um, when, when did Cutthroat Finches start? We started in 2000, late 2015. We released our first album in 2016. Okay. And how many albums? We are just literally put the finishing touches on our fourth album. So oh, we're our fourth album ready for spring, uh, to, uh, to release in spring. Great. Where'd you record? Um, you know, we started, this is, it's an odd thing because in, you know, 16, 17, 18, we basically finished albums all mm-hmm. three years and, and released them all about a year apart. And then when the pandemic hit, like a lot of people, of course, everything slowed down and we had all kinds of problems getting released. So it's like from 2019 all the way till now, we have not, this will be the next album we've released, wow, yeah. which is crazy. Um, we, so what we, what we had the idea to do as availability came up and in between people being sick or being scared of getting sick, we would go in and write and record. So everything got really spaced out and the pace of things just was horrible. But we recorded at, uh, some of these songs at Modern Electric with John okay. Pettigo. Okay. Uh, we recorded some at Nile City under with Joel Rafe. Oh, okay. um, and then we recorded out uh, with Todd Pipes, which was, um, uh, he has a studio in Colleyville, but he was the first guy that really introduced me to almost everybody I know in Dallas yeah. and Fort Worth music. Um, okay, cool. And then, uh, 
uh, and then finished it up at Audio Styles with Taylor Tatch, which is where mm-hmm. we recorded the rest of the albums. Were always under Taylor, who's the guitar player and yeah. Cutthroat Finches. Is he still he still plays with mm-hmm. Cutthroat? Okay, he does. Great. He's finishing his studio down in Fredericksburg. I literally was down there last week with him, uh, finishing up at a studio that he's kind of been borrowing and kind of working space yeah. in. Um, uh, he's he's probably about three to four months away from having his studio finished, but it's going to be it's awesome. It's a beautiful spot, nice I've little isolated pictures, place. Yeah, I've seen a couple of pictures of like the build out, and it looks it's cool. It looks it'll have awesome. a nice place to stay, and it'll be a destination place. But you're still close enough to town to hop in and yeah. see Fredericksburg and stuff, which is a cool little town. I, yeah. I underestimated it as being a place where old people go to <laughs> a lot of wine, I mean, yeah, exactly wine and potpourris sure. and kitschy craft stuff, <laughs> right. but. It, it actually, it, it's a really cool town, really cool culture actually building in there out of the Kerrville Hill Country music scene that's in, 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 in that I think we'll be hearing more about it yeah. for music other than, and not just bachelorette parties and <laughs> wine tastings, you know. And then you're not far from Austin, you're a couple yes. hours, hour from Austin or something like that. Yeah, yeah, cool. but th- that little town right, you know, through there, Johnson City and, and Kerrville and all the, the areas around there, it's it, it's just such a beautiful part of the country. Yeah. And, I'm glad I'll be. I'd love to do shows there instead of Austin. So yeah. you know, I'll be all down for that. <laughs> Absolutely. What was it like recording at Nile City? It was great. We really had a we had a great time uh, at Nile City. I had recorded some. So the other thing that I'm involved in is a project called the Nancys, and that was going on. The Nancys were recording at the same time that um, you know I was kind of recording some of the stuff with Cutthroat yeah. Finches. So I was kind of going back and forth working in that studio. Yeah. Uh, the Nancys. Um, and cut the finches what's what's great about that place is just this big open room mm-hmm. and the ability the way you can track live in there um and, and and the sound you can get yeah um they the the recording process in there is very different than the way we have tracked traditionally How we've so? tracked we've tracked in an open room before and and a lot of times in the past we track maybe the rhythm tracks to tape like mm. with taylor and audio style has got a great two inch tape which makes a big difference especially if you're eventually going to end up on vinyl it, it, Absolutely, I, it yeah. gives it makes a big difference um recording this way um but are in nile city i think just the um the room sound that you pick up is really nice in yeah. there um the vibe of the place and it being local for us at the yeah. time especially with young kids that's the other thing that happened that of course slowed a lot of things down for right. us is you know both drea and Rob, um, Dre, our, drum, our drummer, and Rob, our bass player, both had kids um, within about a month apart oh, wow, of each okay. other. And so the ability to come in and out and track like that was was important helpful, at the time. Yeah. Um, but working with Joel, I've known Joel bef- okay. before, you know, Joel Rafe, and he's just he's just nice to work with. Uh, and, and like I said, simultaneously, I was recording some stuff with the Nancys, mm-hmm. which was everybody that was stuck at home, twiddling their thumbs and not able to tour, not able to put together shows. Um, some of the guys from the Hendersons, uh, okay. Nolan Robertson and Chris Luther, um, Nick Tittle, and then some of the guys from Bastards of Soul um, that were, uh, you know, some of the horn players and stuff like that. Okay. They were actually recording there at the same time, and so oh, Joel cool. drugged them in. So really, it was nice because Joel had some great connections, especially yeah. on that project for the for the for the Nancys. I don't think it could have happened without the openness and kind of the style of the way Joel records and tries right. to mm-hmm. tries to give you the room. Um, to... That's the cool thing. I've never been able to record there, but it's one of the few rooms in town that has ceilings that tall. Mm-hmm. That modern electric are, you yeah, know, two of the only you know few that I know that have ceilings that tall that can give you that big right. room sound. Yep. Yeah, we get we had we, we had the same we had a similar experience and knowing John and just having he's just 
you know, such a fun guy to record with yeah. and him throwing out ideas. John, John has, you know, a lot more ideas. He's interjecting, like we can try this, we can try this and is, you know, moving and trying different, um, you know, guitar parts in and other elements that he can interject into it. Um, so, uh, you know, getting, just getting to record with friends. The idea was to bounce around these different studios, but then you have this wide range of difference. When I try to put yeah. it together into an album, I give it to Taylor and Taylor's looking at me like, this is, uh, this is like, you just gave me five, <laughs> 3000 piece puzzles and you want me to string these yeah. all together, you know? So Taylor mixed. Um, yes. Yeah. Taylor, so the album, the way it'll get released, there's a few variants on. We we did change some of the recordings uh, mm. completely. Some of them we retracted some major parts and 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 interjected Taylor back mm. into it because I did have some guest guitar play. I couldn't get Taylor up here. Yeah. For it, it was like it, again, it was all being most of it was being done during the pandemic. Right. Um. So it was a very, it was very frustrating. You know, it was like the lack of momentum was not just pandemic induced. It was just mentally for all of us. It was like sure. with everything going on, it was. It, it was a real struggle to get this album out, but yeah. not because we weren't passionate about the songs, <laughs> but just the process to do it. And then yeah. you had kids and a lot of other things. You know, this album, we actually finally looked back as we finished these tracks and we, we decided to call the album uh, Unraveled. And really, it's like we had, we, there was a lot of struggles mental health wise for mm -hmm. each of us in different yeah. ways, addiction and mental health that you know really wound its way into the album and the songs even though we record them so um, separately different yeah right that's cool listening back to it the common threads that were in it mm. were uh maybe a little a little disconcerting you know like yeah <laughs> hearing it so it but it was like okay this is what this album's really about we didn't mean for it to be an album to kind of let splay that out mm. but the common threads that are in there are are kind of some of the darker parts of, that we drug in as we we're recording this, you know? That's cool. Um, so, you know, we, like I said, we just now are kind of looking back over this last two years of recording and thinking, well, that's what this is really about. You know, the songs <laughs> all sound wildly different between yeah. the recording studios that we chose, but also the style of songs and the space in between um, that didn't make it have as, as it defined a, a singular vision sound, you know, which is cool. Yeah. You know, that's very different totally cool. than the other albums. Yeah. But it's um, but the common threads in the lyric writing, you know, were right. a little darker than we kind of we weren't paying attention <laughs> to it really what we were saying until we got to the end and we're like wow there's some of the threads and these even the happy songs are some really dark parts in there yeah. we shared so Man, a global pandemic will do that yes um, you know among the other things yeah exactly I mean just having kids watching them get sick I mean um, Drea for instance on the way home with the baby. Um, they got hit in a car wreck oh on the way home gosh. from the hospital. So it just it, it was just like a, it was a oh, set off and a trigger of so many dark things, you know. And then my own addiction issues, my own problems, you know, just strung in there. You know, I'll speak for myself and let them decide if they want how much <laughs> they want to share of it. But it, you know, it was definitely not my highlight reel moments. Yeah. You know, through a lot of that. So. And when's the when's the release? Do y'all have a, a release date? We don't have a release date. Um, we're working out the final. It's literally in mastering right now, so we're working on the mastering side. Who's of mastering? It. Uh, Todd Pipes. Oh, okay, yeah, that yep. makes sense. Going back to Todd. Yeah. Um, actually, it's funny because Taylor on the way over here, I, Taylor told me he was sending over those files, and I already texted Todd and said, "Are you done with the mastering?" And he goes, "On what?" And I was like, <laughs> "You'll see." <laughs> he responds You'll well see. to threats if you work with him and you threaten him he likes that and okay, responds good. a lot yeah, better just in case yeah, most people do yeah make up deadlines things like that he <laughs> loves that tell me about the nancy's what um was that was that a project that you started or yes it was it was um 
you know, I started with Nolan Robertson. I was having Nolan help me with some, I, I just wanted to get his input on pre-production. That was a big part for me that mm-hmm. I realized I, I felt like was missing from the way we wrote songs. Okay. And so um, I started having Nolan Robertson, again, he's from the Hendersons, mm-hmm. um, and he also had been playing keys with Vodio and in some other things, but he's truly one of the most untapped resources as far as a producer's mind and the ability to see things in a much more just a way bigger landscape more of a classical uh, composer mentality um he's actually at school in a graduate program in north texas right now um he works on things like film scoring projects he's been working his craft on film scoring on video game film score or video game scoring things like that that uh, just a much wider range of things that he doesn't really share publicly but he's incredibly detailed uh, his way of stringing together songs mm-hmm. in a production sense to listen to it and think, here's a better way you could string together, or here's how you could add a key change in this bridge. Things that yeah. writers just, it, I just, there's a finite amount of space that you can wrap your head around. And I think in, for most people, I mean, unless you're Prince or, right, you know, of just that, that kind of mentality, then you just are going to hit a wall eventually of the amount of, of crayons you can have in your box. Yeah. But with Nolan, he has a much more like it's like he has, you know, lanes of a highway that go up, down, left and right. And so I I, I had a song that I was like, this will not fit in the Cutthroat and Finch's world. And it's mm-hmm. called Evangelicals. And mm-hmm. um, it's kind of I don't even know how to describe it. It's almost like Western saloon style okay, like, yeah, cool. kind of thing. I don't even have a frame of reference <laughs> for it. Nolan has a frame of reference for it, you know. Yeah. He's like, I kind of feel this parochial, you know, uh, you know, Western saloon vibe thing to this thing, and I was like, yeah, that's I, the parochial part. I don't even know what that means, but the Western right. saloon, yes, I get. And so his ability to translate in his mind, it's like a, this 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 memory bank, mm-hmm. this data source that he has in his mind to to reference songs is unbelievable. Um, so we started working on it and then some other songs. But what we decided was, let's work on some songs together that we just can't fit into the... We don't feel like fit into our own bands, our own projects now. And so we came up with this wide range of songs. The album is called Cuss Words. We mm-hmm. released it last year. Um, it, it was... There's not a huge amount. We're going to actually play our first show, I think, it looks like March 16th, oh, at Tulips yeah. during this thing called the Southside Spillover. So we recorded most of these songs a year and a half or two years ago. Yeah just slow rolled it out because we weren't sure what we were going to do with it or how we were going to promote it. But some of the songs, they range from, like I said, there's layers of French horns and and clarinets and things like that that I've never arranged. But again, with Nolan's help in the producing and and pre-production side, it was an amazing project. But the album's called Cuss Words. It has a lot of foul language in it. The lyrics are mostly mine, except for one song Mm -hmm. called Felt So Right, which is one that uh, Nolan had written. Um... Uh, the lyrics for um, the rest of them are a combination of just frustration over the politics, the general just feeling uh, of things. And then you had other members of the bands that just had songs that just were sitting on the shelf. Like yeah. one of the songs called shit again, that um, <laughs> the band, the poly dogs had, yeah. had started to work on and then they broke up. So Nick, who was playing drums and Chris Luther, who played bass in Poly Dogs? They, it's a great song that they wrote. I was like, let's add it to the Nancy. The album's already called Cuss Words, you know. So <laughs> yeah, because one of the first songs I also wrote was called Fuck Me, and it was basically a description <laughs> of me getting stuck at a Seven Eleven with a guy wanting to tell me all of his, you know, I call him the right wing Malcolm X, you know, in the song. And that's basically, it's like I was just like, what are you telling me? I was like, I was just here to buy beer, you know, like, God. <laughs> 
I mean, just the ass whip of dealing with people. You yeah, know? So yeah, that's what the song's about. So there's a lot of that kind of like, but the songs, the style of the songs are very, very different. They range from like Sgt. Pepper's kind of vibe stuff to even a cover of an OT Genesis song called I Look Good Today. That's, oh, wow. you know, super dumb song. I mean, like the way we did it, but I think it's funny. It's so. fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I would say that it's very satirical. Um, it's and and that that's probably the common thread again looking back at it is most of the music is 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 pretty satirical based stuff and the lyrics and the sound yeah. you know that we chose for that's the songs cool. so it I was a that. lot of fun recording it yeah it sounds like it. those kind of big you know left of center records can be a lot of fun to record yes and the guys once once the guys from like Jason Davis from Bastards of Soul and then some of the guys like Geika and some of these guys who play down in the South Side and the Preservation hall and stuff like that i mean once they got there put their hand in it started and we also had a guy we the french horn player got covid we were supposed to have that jason found so nolan found a guy in the fort worth symphony orchestra off of the facebook page for the symphony orchestra and he showed up so awesome (laughs) so yeah we just it was just it was a blast honestly it was the most rewarding musically it was just another level for me musically to have that kind of work up front and that 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 talent level and and the the open-endedness to be able to create something like that and just go off on a spiral and change key and drop it down and if we're going to do a five minute song we're going to do it you know we weren't thinking about radio hits or anything or trying to say who would market to we just wanted to make badass music yeah it's fun yeah i love that yeah So let's talk now. Uh, there's been, you've been a part of these conversations. I know a lot lately of just the state of the local music fandom. Yeah. And um, so tell me now, what is your impression of, um, what is your impression of the local music fandom? And maybe as it compares to other markets, as sure. it compares to, you know, what it was five, 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the in the, in several conversations. Unfortunately, my name has come up now, and there's stories that people are talking about the declination of the music scene. I, I you know, I'm, I'm getting quoted a lot. You more. seem to be the the go-to guy for a lot. <laughs> no, it's like man, it's like that is not what I wanted to be known for. <laughs> but um, but I. But I, it does seem that more people are talking about it yes, now than ever. Which before, I'm glad. Which is a good thing. Yeah. I think. It is. It, it is because I don't think I don't think it's for a lack of talent or the type of music that's out there or anything like that. I would say though that um, first of all, um, that this seems to be going on everywhere. I mean, yep. talking to people in Nashville, talk and and but and it's the club owners and the bands. The bands they might complain, they might see differences, and but when you talk to the club owners, uh, what they see is the same thing we saw. I was an owner in Mass, Maine at Southside mm-hmm. um, in Fort Worth, and we closed down about a year and a half ago, and and now it's the Cicada. But for us, we were looking at like we're not making money. We're gonna we're gonna on the lean months where we're probably gonna have to pay in to keep the place open. So mm-hmm. what's the point? We just never saw the snapback after the pandemic. Right. Well, in that launch, it was like what we were seeing is the same bands that played before that we thought we'd see a boost in numbers. We'd see a cutback of thirty to forty percent of the wow. number of people after a series of shows that they'd have that you were just a guaranteed two two hundred people would show up. You know. Right. And not only would it be there two hundred people, we knew what the bar sales would be. Yeah. And they were down. You know, people were trying to sober up. So not for the worst reasons. You know, right. I certainly okay. needed to sober up. I didn't. But yeah. um, <laughs> but you know, it was like uh, you, you would see we we could see those numbers, and it was across the board. And then and then we we decided well this is what we're gonna do. We didn't really look at the bigger picture of things. We decided this we're going to do. But I would say that 
first of all, that it seems to be Nashville, Austin, everywhere. Um, yeah. They're talking about, and, and, you know, here in Dallas. And nobody wants to talk about it because they don't want to. It's hard to hype up a scene and get people out and excited when they think it's some dying thing they're seeing on the, you know, dying on yeah. the vine. So maybe that's why they don't. You know, I mean, music's always been about hype and make things cooler than they really are on, right. on social media or commercials or videos or whatever else. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's very counterintuitive to people in our industry to lay the cards out and be like, look, there is a major problem here. This is unsustainable. Mm -hmm. Original, you know, if you're running a club in Dallas or Fort Worth and you're, you're, you're sacrificing money for your family if you're having local live music, uh, local original music. Right. And even it's even in Fort Worth, you know, the country music guys see the same thing. It's really? not like, yeah, if you want to play George Strait covers, then sure. you'll kill it, you know. But if you want to be an original writing artist, mm -hmm. like there's just not there it's it's hard there's there's a hard living to be made out yeah. there and you're going to have to compromise that and you're going to have to fit in your original music in between you're going to have to win people over with covers and then maybe they'll give you the privilege of listening to what you want to actually sing about you know yeah people aren't really looking for it and i think dan bale has hit it on the head and his and the dallas observer article where he said that he thinks dallas has turned into a town where they're not looking for nobody's look like there's not enough people that they it's not a town that wants to have its own scene that that matters to them that that's right. a priority anymore but don't you think that's kind of always been the case for dallas I think it's always had both elements, but I think there was a strong enough art, uh, you know, creative community, and there was there was a scene that had a synergy mm -hmm. that uh, was contagious, you know, yes. and and that people wanted to be in on. It. That's what I felt about Fort Worth. That was happening ten years ago, you know, um, in Fort Worth. Uh, or and and longer than that, but specifically ten years ago, to where I saw that I didn't see it in Dallas at the time. It seemed like it was I didn't know where the core of the scene was anymore. Right. But Fort Worth had this thing going, and there's bands like Calhoun and the Orbans and Burning Hotels and Quaker City Nighthawks, and you know um, there was just a, a synergy around those bands mm -hmm. that uh, made you feel like you were seeing something that you were privileged to get to be at. That this was something that was really good. And that these guys knew each other, and it was like it was a community of yeah. people, and people have sort of that community's gotten broken up for obvious reasons, but it's been replaced, I think, by by a lot of things, and I think that they don't. I think we for a lot of people have forgotten why they what they've lost in that. You know what I'm yeah. saying? That replacement, if they wait it out, I think if they could tap back into it and they could trade it off and they could say, well, I can either have this new thing that I've got or have what I had over here. Right. You know, I wonder if they would what they would choose, you know? So what do you think the solution is? You know, um, like you said, you know, a lot of people just aren't going out as much. Sure. They're not drinking as much. Yeah. So how do we create, like, how do we create that sense of community, mm -hmm. you know, when for so long it was centered around yeah. going to the bar and drinking and yeah. watching a band? Sure. Sure. Um, I, I think, you know, I was, I was talking to, um, one of, one of my favorite bands around in, in Dallas is uh, brave little howl. And those guys, I was talking to Mark actually, um, the guitar player from, uh, brave little howl about this. And what I saw was that, or what we talked about, my goal for this year is accessibility, mm -hmm. like finding ways for people to hear my music and not just saying, if you want to see me, you got to be at 10 o'clock down in deep Ellum at whatever bar, right. or you got to be 10 o'clock over at this bar on the South side in Fort Worth or 11 o'clock or mm -hmm. midnight or whatever. The shows are getting earlier for that has changed. And I like that. Actually. Yes. <laughs> me as well. I, yeah. Yeah. So, but I, but I think what I see in Fort Worth, for instance, is um, when we have events like Friday on the green or the arts goggle, 
whenever you're in front of a group of people that don't normally have access to this and they 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 trust the city, these programs from the south mm-hmm. side organization near south and fort worth for instance has done a great job of yeah. becoming a trusted source for if we're putting them on the stage you should probably hear it mm-hmm. and it's worth you getting your family together and packing a picnic blanket and coming out here we're going to have food trucks and it's going to be an event that's safe and it's going to be an event that's going to have that's that, that's um uh, what do you call it? Uh, curated, yeah. you know, rather than you show up and just say and not know what's going. It's like you, you, you trust that this is a filtered source mm-hmm. of of music that is worth hearing, and I feel like they've they've upheld the trust of the city with that, mm-hmm. and I think Arts Goggle has has been a similar thing where we have 35,000 people show up for that event, you know? Right. So it's like, if we can find better ways to meet people, some of it is through social media. I think musicians don't do a great job necessarily with social media on the local scene sure. um, of creating content. It's tough and everybody hates it and everybody complains about <laughs> yeah. it, but it is reality. It's like, we cannot sit around and complain. And But it's also, I, I also think the future is a more decentralized music scene where we partner with businesses to uh reach um to reach through those businesses mm-hmm. and cross over audiences it, it, it's like it's like you saw all the collaborations everybody's sick of collaborations of everything right. i'm so b- burned out on i and could care <laughs> less about collaborative efforts on on, on these na- on these pop stars it's like whoever the next you know guy is yeah. that's cool to collaborate with and everybody's going to rotate him around town and then he's going <laughs> to drop him off at the bus stop and he'll be done again you know yeah um so uh, but I, but I do think uh, the collaboration of business provides an opportunity. Uh, you know, um, there. I think on one side there's that. I think the other side of it that's come up in all these discussions is we used to have in Fort Worth. We are not cultivating the next generation of music, mm-hmm. and that is on the national scale. If you look at the, yeah. the the tour schedule of who's coming through and who's selling, it's like these bands. There's not there's not many of them you're going to find that are less than ten years old. They're headlining any festival, right? Any festival. Yeah. I don't think you and I 20 years ago could have imagined that the headliners of Lollapalooza or whatever would, would still be, be back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so there's a, there's an entrenched, there's a clearly a problem yeah. with cultivating the next, those next artists aren't even there. Yeah. I don't, and I don't know if they'll ever exist at that level. Um, but I also think that's the same thing here. I mm-hmm. see even locally as I see the same names on the same, like if some promoters coming in town and they want to get a local guy, it's one of these four or five bands that they're yeah. going to get, and that's all. That's all they know. So that's all they get. They're not. And I think the I think the one of the solutions that I think a lot of promoters are starting to see is that the so- social media is steering those clients away. The algorithm is making it very difficult. I can have a band, for instance, I follow the Granada Theater and the Sundown page. Mm-hmm. I follow the band that's playing there. Mm-hmm. I am friends with the members of that band and I still don't even see it. I can barely right. even find it on social media because I'm just in Fort Worth. There's value to having a local band on your tour. Yeah. And those venues, I think, should realize by now, because it's not their first ra- rodeo, mm-hmm. but whether it's the Granada or whether it's Dickey's Arena or whether it's Tannehill's, they should know by now that whoever that opener is, the label is sending or the management group is saying, that opener is paying out of their record label budget to be on that ticket. They provide almost nothing in terms right. of promotion value. Right. And in the social media world, they've got to change their model. Yeah. And I think the cities could do a better job uh, if they're going to do anything or the businesses and not just realizing but proving that that model is true. Because yeah. like, we played a show at Tannehill's, we opened up for a band, and it ended up selling out. Well, the ticket sales were dismal when it started. Now, I the problem is I can't track how much it helped. 
But I guarantee there was a lot of people that saw those promotions yeah. because we were on it promoting it through a different vehicle and through a different avenue. They were, we weren't the national band right. updating every day with this this group and everything, you know. Right. But that opening band on that label, I mean, on that show was great. But nobody knew who they were right. at that time. They mm. were paying to open that show, mm-hmm. which is good for the band and everything like that. But it's like they're not really providing a lot yeah. of value in that spot other than the money that they're paying to further fund the tour for the headliner. Right. So I think if you're a venue owner or you're, you know, the Granada or you're whoever it is, you're in bo- your booking national acts. I think it, it would be wise to, 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 to press as much as you can. I know Tara does, by the way, Tara's she does ask it, yeah. all the time. So I know she's asking, yes. but I think there's wisdom in seeing that because I, I, I and I wish they would track this day, Cutthroat Finch has promoted this deal. We saw ticket sales go up by this. We saw traction to the page was this. Right. But unfortunately, I haven't got anybody to take the time to, to do yeah. that, to prove that what I'm saying is actually not sure, just crap. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. But I, I do. I, th- I think those things matter. I think in general, though, a partnership with businesses and, and the city create. I would. I'm pressing for my for for Fort Worth to create a. We we are a music friendly town by the Texas Music Office, right? Mm-hmm. I would like a standard for. Uh, for a business to say, I support local artists. Yeah. And what does that mean? That means I don't have Thomas Kincaid paintings on the walls, right? I've got real artists from Fort Worth on the walls. Yeah. And if there's music, the benign music, nobody's even listened to. I need those spins. You yeah. Know, play Cutthroat Finches all day and night. Sure. You know? yeah. I need those plays. Yeah. Even if it is Spotify. Whoever this Brazilian band is that's <laughs> softly playing at your coffee shop, they don't even know who you are or care. Right. I care. Mm-hmm. You know. So play my music and those kind of things that that joining of forces. I think does the city good. Yeah. And I think because because it may, it sets the city apart that collaboration between the arts community instead of being the oh you're the big lame commercial building coming in and gentrifying and destroying our culture instead right. it's like bring them in as partners we need them yeah. because if that is selling out and you're going to try to tell me that that the, the the record label model which really is just how many instagram followers do you have and how many spotify followers and are you willing to do right. this for one tenth of a penny per play if that is not selling out in the most absolute whorish fashion (laughs) then i don't know what that is the biggest sellout that has ever been proposed to the music industry and yet everybody is just lapping it up like a effing dog right so i am all for if selling out means a local business benefits from playing my music and i can benefit them and vice versa i'm all for that version that sounds way cooler yeah collaborating with a restaurant or a friggin' law firm or the local plumber sounds (laughs) way better to me than dealing with spotify and instagram or universal yeah screw that shit (laughs) i've always been i've been of the mind mindset that and and maybe this is wishful thinking i don't know but i've been of the mindset lately that um you know we went through a pandemic where again like we've talked about people just don't go out anymore there's yeah there the people in general live in their phones. They yeah. seek entertainment on their phones. There's so much, I, I guess I've always hoped that eventually there'd be this coming back around where people are going to kind of look up and go, you know what? I, I'm kind of sick of staring at a screen. I need to, I need to go out and be with people. Yeah. Do you, do you feel that way? Do you think that could happen? Yeah. And do you see that happening in the near future or in the next 
50 years. I, I, I think with time, I think with time over the next few years, I think we still will unwind. It just hasn't been that snap back, you know, yeah. um, that, that, because, you know, again, I, we look, we looked at 1920s and we thought, well, look, after that pandemic, look what happened. Like maybe the roaring twenties are going to yeah. come back. Well, it didn't happen because they didn't have a replacement. Like their, their fun was drink gin out of a bathtub basically. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. like, I don't know what they did. Just stared at the sun and grew yeah. beets. I mean, I don't know what they did, <laughs> you know? So it was very easy to sell sure, a nightlife. Yeah. Life and an ability to come, but um, but I think yeah, I think there, there's a so I think we we overestimated you know like how things would lay out how quickly um, things would come back maybe yes mm-hmm. so I think it will be a slow thing but I I I do believe people are still seeking even through social media I think they are they realize what a lie it is I mean and I mean I, I'm not I use it all the time sure I mean I just made a big stupid video with the Ottoman Turks and everything like that that I put out that I spent way too much time on <laughs> yeah. it's super dumb um, you know but it you know it's funny to me so I don't hate social media yeah. I don't even hate Spotify or any of that stuff yeah. I just I don't want to I don't want to depend on that to that shouldn't have the effect or the weight that it holds on what I do or right. or, or being a a way that people equate value to me but i think in terms of with people i think the community aspect is something that people have not been able to replace and i think the mental health of this country uh, is proof that we cannot replace like social media is not replacing community and i think that there is a almost like a law of gravity when it comes to community a human need for culture and community right. that they are not that is not being fed and therefore anxiety and other things like that rise and i know for me i didn't realize it. it's only been when we, again when we're looking in retrospect of this album yeah anxiety has not been a problem but the things that i started to believe during the pandemic right. just watching the news in isolation the things that i was learned that i was teaching myself and that i was i was accepting as truths were very dangerous and very destructive and um to, as i've unraveled from them I've realized, you know, I, I think other people are going to come to the same conclusions. You yeah. know, I don't think I'm some mental health expert or some, right. you know, yogi stuff, you know, like I have this crazy enlightenment aspect mm-hmm. to what I'm doing. But it's funny how some of those things got to be such truths uh, in my mind mm-hmm. uh, that I was unaware of the effect that they were having on me around other people and the things that I let linger that yeah. I knew weren't true, you know. So I, I think that, I think people will. I, I'm hopeful that people will find, um, uh, you know, reconnect in that way. I, I just think that we as musicians need to be need to find ways to to be accessible. One of the, one of the examples too, by the way, I, I would say that was was very um, it was revelatory mm-hmm. for me in terms of accessibility. Just watching what people are doing and how people are blown up on social media, for instance, if you're going to use social media at all, I mean, you can try to reject it and see if you can Tom York or your way to the top, but I don't, <laughs> th- I don't think it'll work. But, um, uh, but, but there's a guy named Teddy swims, right? And he's yeah. a big, he's a very popular TikTok star has millions of followers. And he was apparently been out grinding on the road in a hard rock band and can sing his ass off and couldn't get any traction. Yeah. And, and I'm, I, this is not a, I'm not reading his biopic, so these are just the loose pieces I picked up. We had a friend that was friends with him, invited us to the factory. We go down there. We have no idea who he is, but he's like, you got to come down and meet this guy. It's so awesome. We got VIP, you know, VIP. I go back and meet him. We go back and meet him. He gives us this big old hug. I have no, and I started thinking, 
this might be one of the people I met when I was super drunk, you know, and just have forgotten, you know, yeah. because he hugged me like we knew each other our whole lives. <laughs> he was one of the nicest yeah. guys ever. And anyways, he blew up on social media because he was going through a breakup very publicly and was writing songs and singing covers. And yeah. he was getting millions of plays from some uh, stuff that Journey had done. He actually had an invitation, as I understand it, to possibly tour with them and sing for Journey. Wow. He's that good. Of, he has that good a chops. his ass off, yeah. Yes. So I go to the show at the factory. With, by the way, the, the tallest audience I've ever... I stood at six foot. I always felt like I was a very short person. I don't understand how many basketball players, why they... <laughs> He's reached that demographic. It's unbelievable. <laughs> He's re reached... It. People over six foot tall fucking love this guy. It's unbelievable. Uh, but the factory was packed out. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, like, this guy made himself made himself vulnerable and acceptable. And I think musicians have not done a great job of that. You know, yeah. we we are still trying to follow the Tom York, be a, the Morrissey, stay aloof, the mysterious, mysterious yeah. bullshit. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, OK, you know, uh, Edward Scissorhands, you know, like whatever you're <laughs> thinking you're doing over there is not that interesting right. anymore. You sure. know, so. Uh, there's a lot of cliches that we still... Well, I think musicians in general are... I, I'm not saying it's their fault. It's just that we're still following a model and imitating or emulating things that are, are models that don't exist anymore. Right. We're seeing and we're, we're following things that happened 20 years ago. And we would normally know that surely that's not what you do. But I see even young bands still doing still do the that. same things, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think when we make ourselves accessible... Um, through like how, how can people how, how can we get average soccer mom to understand who we are as a band because if just my musician friends you know know who I am and think I'm cool I'm really I mean you know God love them I'm wasting yeah. my time I need Karen Mm -hmm. to want to hear cutthroat fences yeah, you know sure. what i mean so if i can get karen to care about what i'm doing and i've made myself accessible to where she can understand what i'm trying to do in my music that's where social media can be a benefit to right. us you know um it's not about being a tribute band or a cover band. It's just that people don't understand. There's not the trusted filters we grew up in. One of the models that's broken, the paradigms, is that radio and 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 uh, 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 you know and and things like we I grew up with the Edge. It was like I was told what was cool by the DJs on the Edge. Yeah, you know, by Mark or Jeff or whoever. Sure. Right. Jeff K would tell me exactly what I need to be listened to to keep me ahead of the curve and the coolest guy. And then I could go to Bill's Records and they'd tell me the other ten things they don't even know about because they just came out yesterday yeah. from Holland. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like wow, I'll buy it. You know, mm -hmm. so there's just we there's not a system of trusted filtration anymore. Yeah. And now unfortunately people are relying on an algorithm to tell them mm. uh, where the music music is and yeah. people don't even know where it's where it's coming from you know and it's so i think people what i would what the case i would make to people is that is that when you're being fed something it may not be what you really need you know yeah. when you let this computer feed like one of the things is the things that you wouldn't like that are outside that kind of are itchy and sandpapery might be exactly what you need to hear that's yeah. going to change your opinion and open your eyes to something different you that's know cool. i love that get into some fun stuff tell me now about the strangest gig you've ever played okay okay yes the strangest gig i ever played when i first started recording um i met basically everybody i know through the pipes brothers mm -hmm. and the music business to start off including taylor tatch mm -hmm. so at the time i had taylor tatch and then i met taylor young who was in a band called hi-fi drowning at the time mm -hmm. but taylor young played drums an incredible drummer and um nolan thies and uh, Nolan had been in a couple different bands also at the time, but they were all kind of, you know, getting out of school. I was recording and um, they started playing shows with me. And so the first time I got invited to some of the South by, you know, bypass shows, you know, right. around um, uh, South by 
I was so excited. I mean, I was just like, I'm going down and getting, you know, get my foot in the door at South by. And this what is, year was this? this is about 2008 or nine, okay. maybe 2010. Yeah. And, um, so I was doing this, you know, doing solo uh, music and we, we, and I get this invitation to go to this place to check in at this. And then I was supposed to go here and then I'm going to be playing this place called the pirate bar. Okay. And I was just like the pirate bar. And I didn't know <laughs> if it was a nickname because some of them have sponsors like the Twix such and such stage. So I didn't know if this was right. a whiskey or a rum or I don't know what it was, but yeah. it was called the treasure Island pirate bar. So I thought treasure Island was like the liquor like sponsor. sponsor. I, yeah. <laughs> I was just trying to figure out where it was and where we could possibly stay to load in gear and deal with a South by just ass whipping of yeah. nobody's going to backline, nobody's going to communicate with you, nobody's going to tell you anything. You just show up and hopefully the gig is still happening and you just cart your stuff eight blocks to get to the venue, <laughs> right. you know. So we did. We we go down to this place and the place is called the Treasure Island Pirate Bar. <laughs> and and not only that, but when we walk in, it is a full on as you uh, on the right hand side of the bar. This is right on Sixth Street, and there's a there's a full pirate ship that is the bar. Oh, <laughs> I mean it's like it's like it's the size of you know like the Six Flags pirate ship. Yeah, yeah. It is like oh, that, wow. and it's cut in half and made into a bar basically. Wow. So we come in and like and when you play like and you're facing out into the audience, it's it's a uh, smaller stage. Um, uh, but it's on the left-hand side is the ass end of this boat. So you're basically <laughs> playing to the ass end of a pirate boat kind of off to your left. But then just to top it off and make it way even better. So we play our show. They have, they're offering quarter beers. Of course. There's like three people in there. That's yeah. all they can get. I mean, there's a thousand people outside, but the, yeah. it, even at quarter beer, it's a little on the pricey side for what they can get. <laughs> you know? So they're still just walking right on by. But then just to make it better... So Toby Pipe shows up. He's the only person listening to us, yeah. basically, enjoying the quarter beer, Amstel Lights. <laughs> but um, as all these people are coming by, all of a sudden, like as we set up and are just about to start, we see this film crew come in. So we're like thinking, this is awesome. Like, wow, the, we can see that it's tied to you know public television, so we're going to get some yeah. really great cover. We're going to get at least some B-roll, something. And they're staring through the front of this big open window that faces Sixth Street, and basically, um, all of a sudden, this puppet situation oh. starts happening. And it was the public radio puppet show, <laughs> basically <laughs> happened in the window, just like this window, about five or six, or maybe like eight feet wide, and and you know that that opens out to yeah, Sixth yeah. Street. And they've decided to do their puppet show <laughs> in the window. Well, <laughs> the the film, the cameras that are like that, basically are blocking the entrance to the place, so you could barely even get in. And Nobody will come even close to this puppet show going on. So we're basically playing the whole show to the to, to the you know, if you imagine like the guys with their hands up and all you're doing is seeing their ass cracks and just, you know, like they're playing with these puppets and you go, What and we can't hear anything. So it's us playing all this noise and the ass end of a puppet show, basically, in a pirate bar. It's like this is the That's worst the thing I've thing ever, ever yeah. seen. Yeah, it's like, and what was funny is we ended up finding out that I believe it was Swerve Driver was playing uh, down the street, oh. and so we just decided, let's just cut these call last two early. songs. We did. Yeah, let's call it early. <laughs> we cut it early. We played like six songs. Ended the show, packed up. Nobody was there. Was nobody even there? Like to say, "Hey, welcome. Here's your badge. Here's yeah. your here's your free quarter beer. Anything." So we just like packed our stuff up. Asked if we could leave it there for a bit. Went and watched Sword Driver, and then okay. left. <laughs> so yeah, hot show. Now 
for everybody else, it was, hey, we're playing at South by. You can't That's miss right, the show. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that's what went out on social media. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was like that was. I think that was a MySpace post. Yeah, you know, I'm maybe. Sure. I think MySpace is still up. I hadn't been invaded by Russian prostitutes and right. you know all that stuff. So <laughs> only uphill from there. So, yeah. All right. To to close it out, tell me about your your dream gig, and that could be dream venue, dream bill. Um, mm. could be maybe a gig you've already played, whatever that means to you, your dream gig. You know, um, that's an interesting question. I have honestly never tried to visualize what that is, you know, what that would be. Um, I think it's kind of like my dream gig would be to play to a large audience of, you know, I'm, let's say a thousand people. I, I like, I love those kind of shows. I mean, um, like Tannehill's, I love that venue. I yeah. love playing there and the bands that I played that have toured through there. I mean, they 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 really treat you well. Uh, Tim loves places the, the the venue. They do a great job. But I would just say that to play to an audience that I felt like I had earned mm-hmm. uh, of that size, yeah, and that um, that really listened and knew my song. Like having people sing along with my songs in those few. Like when we played House of Blues, we opened for Flicker Stick, and there was enough people there that were singing along and everything like that. That was just huge. Cool. And then but then seeing them sing along with the Flicker Stick songs, I was mm-hmm. like. That would be that would be the most rewarding thing for That's me. That's cool, yeah. You know, at, at, at any size, whether it's a hundred people or a thousand people or ten thousand people, for me, it's not about making a living as a musician necessarily, because it's like that will happen or it won't happen. But that experience would be worth it for for what I've done. Yeah. It would be the the capper. And then of course I'd come back on the show and say, now that's not enough. Now I need to sell out, <laughs> you know, this or it's not going to be enough. Sure, so, sure, sure. It's never enough, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Well, Sean, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and driving all the way from Fort Worth. I really appreciate it. You bet. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. It was really nice. Nice talk. You bet. Have a good one. All right. There he goes. Thanks so much to Sean Russell for coming on the podcast. What a fun conversation that was. Y'all be sure to check out the Cutthroat Finches and the Nancys. Give them some love and some follows. Go to a show. Show them that uh, you're a local music fan that really still cares about going to see live local original music. We need your support. Also, The Knockdown Dragout, the debut album by Chris Jane Norwood and The Knockdown Dragout is out now, streaming everywhere. Please go listen to it. I would love that so much. And come see us at a show as well. Follow us on the socials at Chris J. Norwood. If you're a fan of this podcast, The Strangest Gig, I would appreciate you giving us some love as well. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please tell your friends, spread the good word about The Strangest Gig. Again, I am your host, Chris J. Norwood. And until next time, if you find yourself playing to the ass end of a puppet in a pirate bar, just remember, a gig's a gig, right? <laughs> <laughs>